Romans chapter 11, starting from verse 33 to chapter 12, verse 2. So Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing, beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Thank you, uh, Michelle, for reading that passage of scripture. Just uh, if anyone wants a copy of uh, the, the transcript, I got some copies. I couldn't distribute it this morning, but I'll ask Rose. If you raise your hand, she'll... Isn't that great to have our wives who would help us, right? So <laughs> just let her run around, please. <laughs> anyone wants a copy? Uh, just, just okay. Um, so we're going to look at uh, this, this passage uh, this morning. So keep, please keep your Bibles open to Romans uh, chapter 11 and also... Uh, if you could also keep the reference to Psalm uh, 19, uh, that, that would be uh, really appreciated as well. So, uh, well, let's look, uh, uh, let's come to God in prayer. Let's first pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Just pray that you would uh, bless this word. Uh, it is your word. And uh, we pray that you will do uh, according to your purposes, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, what a joy it is this morning to have... Uh, to uh, witness the wonderful uh, sacrament of uh, baptisms, uh, adult baptism as well as uh, infant baptism. What a joy it is to see the way in which God works and transforms people's lives. On this Reformation Sunday, what better witness to see the amazing grace of God in the lives of people. And uh, we heard from Eddie as well this morning coming in from a Buddhist background and Angela and how God has done an amazing grace in your lives. And so we rejoice with that. Today on this Reformation Sunday, uh, we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation with the nailing of the five, 95 Theses on the church door in Wittenberg in Germany on the 31st of October 1517 by Martin Luther. And in keeping with the Reformation, we have been focusing our morning messages on the five solas. We've seen, looked at sola scriptura, scriptures alone. We have looked at sola fide, faith alone. We have looked at sola gratia, grace alone. Uh, sola Christos last Sunday, Christ alone. And today uh, we are looking at the, the last one, uh, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. To God alone be the glory has been described, has been described as the glue that holds the other four solas together. Uh, writer David Van Runen, in his excellent book, uh, God's Glory Alone, says the following. He says this, Soli Deo Gloria can be understood as the glue that holds the other solas in place or the center that draws the other solas into a grand 
unified whole. Recent writers suggest the same idea when they speak of soli Dio Gloria as the logical implication of the other four points or as the motto that subsumes all the others. In other words, friends, as we see in that quote, it is the glue that binds everything together. And so this morning, we're going to look at Romans chapter 11, 33 to 36, a few verses as our text to focus on this passage. Uh, let me just give you a few thoughts on the book of Romans before we get into uh, this text here. Some of you have studied the book of Romans in, uh, in your growth groups, and some of us are in the process of studying Romans at the moment. The book of Romans has had an incredible, incredible influence in the lives of many and has been used by God in the history of the church. Let me highlight just two such people whose lives were changed by reading the book of Romans. I'm sure you would agree with me this morning that the book of Romans is a challenging book, right? It's a heavy book. It's got good stuff in it. It's a meaty book. It's an encouraging book. It's a wonderful book written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit. Well, there was a brilliant, brilliant young man who was overcome with everything in the world and was a rising figure in the world. Nothing in this world provided the answer for his quest for life. He lived his immoral life, though he had a godly mother, Monica, praying for him and for his salvation. I've given you the clue already. Right? Right. He went to church when possible, read the lives of some of the saints, and made the scriptures the subject of much study for about 10 years. However, at some time in his life, he became a slave to the lust of his own flesh, living a life with a concubine, a woman who lives with a man but has a lower status than his wife or wives. He suffered spiritual torment and the conscience complained. His quest for life overcame him and one day he was so discouraged and weeping and groaning, he sat under a tree, a fig tree, and he cried, how long, how long? Why not end my impure life in this very hour? And at that moment, he heard a girl's voice saying, Tole lege, tole lege. That's in Latin means, take up and read, take up and read. And he began, and he had been carrying, by the way, a copy of Romans with him. And he opened it at random, and he read this passage, Romans 13, 13 and 14. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And when he had read, he concluded, I neither wished nor needed to read further. I neither wished nor needed to read further. And by God's grace, this man put his faith in Christ. This young man's name was, who do you think? Right. Monica was his mother. Some of you are smiling. You would know. 
Augustine, right? Augustine. He, uh, Augustine went on to become the Bishop of Ipo, and, and, and so we have this wonderful work of God's grace, and he wrote his, his confessions, and uh, what, what an impact Augustine had in the life of the church. And then let me refer very quickly to another person whose life was impacted by the book of Romans. Many years later, an Augustinian Roman Catholic monk and professor of theology at Wittenberg University in Germany was reading the book of Romans. And of the many Bible texts associated with the lives of those who were converted, none is as clearly associated with one man in particular where Romans chapter 117 made a major impact in his life. And it was, it was this one, Romans 117. For, it is, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And this man was Martin Luther. You saw that, that, uh, that, that picture there uh, of, of Luther nailing his 95 theses to cause much discussion in the church. And little did he know at the time that this would be the cause of the Reformation. And so this man, Martin Luther, he led to understand that no one can come to God by our good works. And Martin Luther came to the firm conviction that salvation, that to be right with God, it is to be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the scriptures alone. And then to understand all of this is to give glory to God alone. And so, friends, we have seen how the book of Romans was used by God to change the lives of Augustine and Martin Luther and many others. And as we come here to our text here this morning, Paul has been giving us an incredible theological treatise from chapters 1 to 11. He has spoken of some incredible meaty substance. He has spoken about justification. That is how is a person made right with God. He has spoken about God's amazing love. Romans chapter 5. God demonstrated his love for us. Do you want to complete it? In that... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So a memory text, right, that we did here. Right? He has spoken about the nation Israel. He's spoken about the Gentiles. He has spoken about God's sovereign plan of salvation. And this now is as if he has come to the very pinnacle of the mountain. It's as if he has come to the summit in the mountain. It's like when you climb a mountain... You're able to look around and, and see what is around you. And Paul sees, and what he sees, and what he comes out with. Look at your text here this morning. It's an incredible doxology, right? An incredible praise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Just have a look at that. Paul begins this praise. He begins this doxology with a little interjection. The Greek text there has this word, oh. Do you know, sometimes we say, oh, isn't that wonderful, right? Have you ever said that? Oh, isn't that marvelous? Oh, no. Right? Oh. 
What a fantastic thing that is. Oh, yeah? But just that little interjection there, that little word, oh, in the context here, is one of absolute amazement. Oh, this is wonderful. And in the text here, it is, Paul is absolutely amazed. Paul is absolutely mesmerized. Paul is absolutely astonished of what is his, uh, of, oh, God is. Wow, it says. And what is it that, what is it that astonishes him? Look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. This is what astonishes this God. You see, friends, the Bible tells us that God is rich. Think about it for a moment. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's rich in his kindness. He's rich in his mercy. He's rich in his goodness. He's rich in his love. It comes to the very character of who God is. Like I said this morning, what a blessing to see um, Eddie and, and Jenny and uh, come to faith. You know, I, I think about the Soul family. Right? I, I think about my time visiting Kevin and, and Melissa and the kids and Kevin being baptized and Melissa coming to faith and then your kids come in and being baptized. And I think about Angela, how the Lord brought you to faith and how we had to get rid of the, the Buddha statue from your place. And then we see how Eddie has come to faith. And we see Jenny and we see Michelle praying for this family. And we see God's amazing grace. And we, we have uh, uh, Stephen and Julia part of coming to the church and the whole clan. <laughs> uh, we have Max here with us. Max, the German guy, you know how hard to get along with sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> of course not. They're a great guy. <laughs> I enjoy the banter that we have and share together, right? You see what I'm saying? I mean, I was, I was like blown away when I was thinking about this whole episode of our God's grace and kindness. That's the goodness of our God. You see, we've heard those testimonies. Think about God's goodness and kindness to you this morning, friends. What about God's wisdom? He's the source of all wisdom. What about God's knowledge? Right? He's the omniscient God, meaning he knows everything. A.W. Tozer put it this way, about speaking about God's knowledge, okay? Uh, let me say this. He's omniscient. He means all things. He knows all things. All the computer data in the world is known to God. Did you know that? How much data we have on our phones, everything? Think about it. That God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind. He knows all spirit and every spirit. He knows all being and every being. God knows all the laws and every law. He knows all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feelings, all desires. God knows every unuttered secret of your heart, every personality, all things visible, invisible, motion, time, space, depth, good, evil, heaven, and comprehensive, isn't it? Right? Nothing can be hidden from this God. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Rose and myself watching this movie, Bruce Almighty. Anyone seen that? I know it's an old, mo old movie, right? Some of you may have seen it. I mean, we laughed and laughed and laughed and it was hilarious to see us laughing. Kids were not at home, so that was all right. <laughs> 
but he saw Bruce Almighty, uh, all those prayers that was going to God. So that is, all these things, it's on the, on the computer, and, and every prayer is going up to God. And Bruce Almighty sits there and says yes to the, all the prayers. And as he says yes, he's thinking all the prayers are answered and more are going up to God. Right? Never ending. And God knows every one of those prayers. He knows every one of those things that goes on in our hearts. He knows the pain. He knows the suffering. He knows the trials. He knows the testing. You see, behind our facade, friends, how are you going, friends, this morning? You might ask somebody, oh, I'm going really well. I think, really? <laughs> you scratch the surface a bit, right? Mm. You find out, isn't it, sometimes? Not everything is going well. Not all the time. But the Lord knows those things. For who... And, 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 and Paul is saying, for who has known the mind of the Lord? You see, we can't completely figure out this, this God. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Three questions here. Paul now backs this up with referring to Isaiah 40, verse 30. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Who can ever know the mind of, the, of God? And then he says, who has been his counselor? The answer is no one. God doesn't need a counselor, does he? What do you think? Does he need my counsel? Nonsense. Does he need yours? <laughs> he doesn't need a counselor. God does not need consultants. He doesn't need counselors to help him. Who has given God something? Look at the text. Who has given God something to God that, that he should repay? The answer is no one. And then Paul quotes Job. And he, 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 puts, he puts the question, isn't it? Job puts the question, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole of heaven is mine. So we have Old Testament passages intervened here. No one can say to God, you know what, God? I want to have a chat with you, God. Mm, okay, tell me. Well, you know what? You owe me something. You owe me one, God. Uh -huh. Remember what I did for you? Surely you owe me one. Right? We can do that with our friends, can't we? Hey, man, I, I, remember I bought you a drink the other day? It's your turn now. <laughs> you owe me one. Uh, I bought you a coffee the other day. Now it's your turn, man. You owe me one. I've done a good deed for you. You owe me one. You see how society can function that way, right? You owe me because I have done something for you. But with God, he owes us nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then Paul goes on to say, no one can say, and, and in verse 36, for from him, as we come to the, to the end of this passage, see what, what we see here, for, for from him and through him are all things, to him be glory forever and ever. You see, John Piper speaks about this, about the glory of God. You see, the point is, the perhaps at this point it might be might prove beneficial to explain what what God's glory is. Piper puts it well. I know there are some great John Piper fans here in this congregation. They tell me from time to time. Says this: in speaking of God's glory, the Bible assumes that this infinite value has entered creation. It has, as it were, shined. God's glory is the radiance of His holiness, the outstreaming of His infinite value. And when it streams out, it is seen as beautiful and great. It has both infinite quality and magnitude. So we may define God's glory as the beauty and greatness of his 
many perfections. It is the radiance of his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. You see, God is all glorious. He is all sufficient. In Psalm 19, the one that Doug read for us this morning, God's glory is seen in his creation. Secondly, in that psalm, you see, God's glory is seen in his word that is given to us. His character. He is totally other. He is transcendent. This is, this is hard, right? Because on the one hand, let's it this way. God is our father, right? So we can come to him. But on the other hand, is also transcendent, beyond us. This is the glorious God, friends. But you know something? So God has revealed himself in creation, spoke, revealed his glory in his word. And you know what? God has done something else. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the one and only son from the father. Did you see that? God's glory has been revealed fully and comprehensively in Jesus. Now, let me refer to a passage, please. Romans. Romans chapter 3, 21, 23 and 24. You have this word glory there, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of and are justified by his grace. You see, friends, sometimes we can be the measure of our own glory, isn't it? Mankind. I was reading an article on the Spectator uh, magazine. Some of you might get the Spectator. And uh, the, the, the recent copy, actually last week's copy, talks about what would the nation be like without Christianity? When we start to de-Christianize our nation, what would be the impact? What do you think? When God is pushed out and man becomes the measure of glory, when the human philosophies take over the glory of God, when social engineering pushes God and his glory out of the picture, what happens? Have we seen the consequences of that today? We are, aren't we? That's what it is, friends. So, let me say, we can be very man-centered here. And let's keep going. You see, as a church, whose glory are we living for? Surrey Hills, Prezi Church. Did you know that? This is in our purpose statement. Right? What do we see there? By God's grace and for our glory we exist. How would you like that? Hmm? No, no. The, the elders and us, we work through this by God's grace and for whose glory? Whose glory does Surrey Hills Presbyterian Church exist for? Hey? Don't be afraid, friends. Shout it out. Hey? For whose glory? It's for His glory. Not for the minister's glory, not for the senior minister's glory or the our assistant pastor's glory or the elder's glory or someone else's glory. No, 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 no. It doesn't live for our glory. It's all for his. And what does that mean? It means, friends, that we submit to him 
What does that mean? It means that we live for Him. What does that mean? It means that Christ becomes the center here. What does that mean? It becomes the Word of God becomes the center of this church's life. There's a wonderful question and answer. The first question and answer, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Anyone knows that? You would know that, right? What is the first uh, uh, question and answer, the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Oh, there you go. What is man's chief end, right? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Wow, this is good. I like it, all right? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You see, to glorify God, my dear friends, means to live for Him. To glorify God is to honor Him. To glorify God means to live under His word. This means to acknowledge Him in the way I live. To glorify God is to know Christ, who is the very express image of God. To glorify God is to know this Jesus, who died for you on the cross, to, so that we can be made right with this God. To glorify God is to say, Lord, this is my life. I want to live for you. That's what it means. Now, do I always live for the glory of God? It's a tough question, right? <laughs> Ask my family and they will tell you what the answer is. I don't. My intention is there. But I struggle. And you might be as well. I want to glorify God, but I fall short of that glory. And when I fall short of that glory, what do I say? I say, Lord, thank you through faith in Christ alone. I know that you have done everything for me. And you love me in spite of the times that I don't live for your glory. You see, when, where is God's glory? When you get angry, eh? Where is God's glory when you get grumpy? None of you get grumpy? Come and see me after coffee. For coffee, we'll have a chat. Where is God's glory when I'm driving on the road and somebody cuts me off on the traffic? Does the glory of God come in there in my driving skills? No. You see, we know we fail. But you know what? He has given us his spirit to have the power by his grace to live for him. You know, Johann Sebastian Bach signed off his music with this. Well, he said this about music. The aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. And he signed off his ministry. S-D-G. S-D-G. Soli Dio Gloria. To God alone be the glory. So as we conclude, look at verse 36 again. It says a lot of stuff here. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. From, through, and to. Everything is through him. No wonder Paul says, oh, the depth. This is so deep that no one can comprehend it. Here is worship. I want to ask you this morning. For whose glory are we living? Is it for yours? Is it for mine? Or is it for God? Who are you living for? What are you living for? Here is the worship of our God who has loved you, has cared for you, has died for you, has sent his son for you, and he says, live for me and enjoy me. Enjoy. You know, we 
this word enjoy. When I was in Hong Kong, when we went to Hong Kong, people brought food to our table. And one word I picked up all the time, enjoy. Enjoy. I go, oh, okay. They bring a curry laksa, enjoy. Enjoy. You know what about God? Are you enjoying God? Are you enjoying this awesome God in your life? That's the, 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 the thought of knowing that God has embraced you in his love, makes you enjoy him, or is following God a burden? It's the burden. You see, when you enjoy something, you want to do it, right? When you enjoy your golf, even though you have a miserable hit, you want to do it. If you enjoy fishing and you don't catch any fish, you still enjoy it. You go to the fish market and you buy some fish and bring them home. Right? But when you want to enjoy something, you really want to do it, right? Enjoying God means I want to enjoy you. So we conclude this series. The five solas. The sole authority of the scriptures. Saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. Through Christ alone. And we have one life to live. And how should we live this life? I'm reminded of, uh, I was reading Calvin's book this past week. Calvin says this, um, in Latin, co mium tibi offero domine prompte et sincere. Sincere. It says this in English. I offer my heart to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. I think it's a very fitting motto. Can you say to God this morning, I offer my heart to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. I have one life to live. It will soon be gone. Yeah? And I want to live my life to the glory of God alone. What a goal for us to keep. Soli Dio Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our lives. One life to live. Help us, Lord, to offer our hearts to you this morning promptly and sincerely. And by your grace and by your spirit to live our lives solely Dio Gloria to God alone be the glory in our lives. Amen. <laughs>